All right, what's up, Story Geeks? And thank you for joining us today on the Story Geeks YouTube channel. Uh, my name is Tim Wozni. Uh, I am a mega Star Wars fan and a self-proclaimed Jedi. Today, we're going to be talking about next week's release of the second season of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. What we have loved to see in this show so far and what we're looking forward to next season. Uh, two very special guests joining me today. We have Fuller Theological Seminary Professor and Grade A Nerd, Dr. Cutter Calloway, and Red Society co-founder and Amazon best-selling author, Jay Shear. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. It's good to be here. I, I am a self-proclaimed Padawan, so <laughs> I need extra training. <laughs> Uh, and everybody, thank you for listening in. The Story Geeks YouTube channel is produced by the Reclamation Society. Be sure that you subscribe for more in-depth perspectives on geek content. Uh, we're going to be talking about both of the trailers today and what we are expecting to see in The Mandalorian this season based on those trailers and some of the casting releases. So if you are wanting to go into this completely spoiler-free, this is your spoiler warning. Uh, so let's just start out. Let's look back at the last season real quick. Um, who or what were your favorite characters or moments uh, from the first season? Uh, well, I think we have to give a really quick shout out to um, Toro Calican. <laughs> no, I think that that is a much non-beloved character from the first season. But, you know, why not? We'll, we'll give him some love anyways. No, okay, so my favorite characters from season one um first of all moff gideon to me because giancarlo esposito uh is one of my favorite actors right now so i just can't wait to see i don't think we saw enough of him as moff gideon i would love to see more of him as moff gideon i hope we see more of that in season two um of course i mean the mandalorian it used to be that i used to say that boba fett was my favorite character but when you compare boba fett to jin din jaren i i have to choose din jaren like uh, Boba Fett just kind of doesn't do a whole lot, and uh, Din Djarin actually does. So, love Din Djarin. Um, and then I also really hope that we get to see uh, Mayfeld again, because I thought they cast a lot of comedians in The Mandalorian Season 1, which was interesting to me, and I thought Bill Burr did a really good job with what he was given, and I thought it was really fun to watch. So, those are, those, those are my shout-outs. Yeah, we got Horatio Sands, right, coming up. I know we're not supposed to... Yeah. Season two, but that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I I wish that I could return to the time when there was a cutter who didn't know anything about the child, <laughs> and I remember watching it live. I, I I wasn't on like the interwebs. I wasn't like keeping track of anything, and just do to do to do watching the fun Mandalorian. And then all of a sudden, he's like, "What's this little egg pod?" And then he's like, "Oh, what?" And then uh exposed camera turns what the baby yoda wow like that <laughs> moment that moment was so <laughs> i i don't think i'm overstating it it was it was transformative it was like a life-changing moment uh, i'm like hitting my wife and you know all this other stuff and uh, i i feel bad for the people that know about that before they go into watching season one or had it spoiled beforehand because that that to me was the sort of the peak of the season and then of course uh you know, dictates the rest of what happens, and then even apparently what what's going to go on in season two. Um, other the other thing, I I really liked uh, the Cara Dune character. Um, uh, not only just because I thought she played it well, and it was it was a it was a fun sort of a sidekick here, but 
Um, just the, and, and another thing I hope we see more of, uh, just a really strong female lead um, in terms of like who her character is, um, what she did, kind of what she carried. Um, so I, that was my other uh, kind of high point of who who I liked. Hmm. With, with specifically reference to the child, the interesting thing for me was I was working with middle school students still in San Diego, and I had to get up Friday mornings, watch the new episode of Mandalorian, and then drive down to San Diego. Because if I didn't, it would be spoiled for me that evening by the excitement of a bunch of teenagers. Um, and watching the episode, knowing what they were going to get home from school for, to go see was supremely entertaining <laughs> and just knowing that like oh my gosh at this moment they still have no idea about baby yoda <laughs> or at this moment they still haven't seen nurse droid ig uh, ig11 um was just really really fun for me as the season was going on um and i can't i can't enough second how cool cara dune was um, and one of the things that I deeply, deeply loved about the Mandalorian, and it's one of the things that I really loved about Solo was how much this, that the series expanded the Star Wars universe, um, new characters, new ideas, new, um, new locations, but like just new diversity in things that we were already familiar with. So not just a rebel troop, but a a drop trooper and someone who's going in under fire and explosions and the front of the tip of the spear. And that's just this new sort of look into the rebellion that I really, really loved. Um, I, and likewise for the rest of the Mandalorians, I really loved the armorer. Um, and I'm really hoping that she makes a return. The heavy Mandalorian with his backpack blaster, um just made me smile hope he comes back um the whole idea of the guild um the bounty hunters guild just again the same thing it's just that more in-depth perspective into the rest of the world of star wars um and that balancedness of both sort of lawlessness and structure um and then for me both Sanctuary and The Prisoner were really important episodes. One, because Sanctuary just continues on that Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai uh, saga. And then The Prisoner is the classic break the guy out of, the, out of prison or blow up the bank vault, whatever. Just another really classic Western trope that I think fit really, really well into, into that world of Star Wars. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, and, no, and, and, Jay, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Cutter. Well, I was just thinking about um, Jay. Your comment earlier about Boba Fett. I mean, he he has long been my you know favorite Star Wars character, and you know all my uh, collectibles would reflect that. Um, and so I, <laughs> when Mandalorian came out, I, I kind of felt like I needed to you know let people know about my Boba Fett love before it was popular, right? Um, although Boba, he was always a popular character, but I think it's because, in a large part, because it the, there was so little known. Um, about him, about his background. He says almost nothing. You know, it's like two or three lines total. 
And yet he's like super awesome and doing super cool things. And then dies a sort of, you know, gets splashed (laughs) against the side of the ship and falls into the, to the giant monster. And, um, but, but what's interesting is then now we get a really cool um, background sort of mythology with all of the characters, all of the, the sort of community, the guild, et cetera. And then you go, well, man, now he seems like a kind of thin, underdeveloped character in some ways. Um, and I hadn't thought about that till just now. I still love him. I think he still uh, holds up. But um, because of what The Mandalorian is now doing, um, we're looking back and going like, wow, it would have been cool if we had known something about him. Um, and that's both the, the cool benefit, the blessing of this uh, series, but then also the like, oh, what's it doing to our, you know, our cherished characters of, of yeah. uh, the past? Well, and sort of conversely to that, it's pretty cool how much has sprung from a dude who was meant to just sort of be this mean-looking yeah. muscle in the background that you ain't going to mess with. And like the whole bit, the bit that stands out for me with, with Boba Fett is when Leia pulls out the thermal detonator and before everyone else has even like registered their own panic, he's already got his blaster up from hidden under his cape and like everyone panics except for him and he's like if i'm going down you're going down with me and just this hard edge of a of an intense bounty hunter warrior it's really i don't think it can be overstated how much uh baby yoda has impacted audiences because like my wife whenever we're watching a show together um, she will literally squee every single time the camera pans over to baby Yoda. Um, and what that does emotionally in an audience is really fascinating because the design and the creativity of the design of baby Yoda is such that, or the child, if you prefer, uh, is such that we have an emotional connection to this fake thing that is as deep as any character you've probably seen on screen and it doesn't take long for them to do it. So the artistry of the show is amazing. The other thing I wanted to say about um, Cara Dune, which I thought was uh, really, really, really good about their, their choice in casting is I'm so just to parallel this I'm watching right now um, because it came out on Disney plus my wife and I are watching uh, once upon a time and that's a super soap opera kind of show, but it's fun. Right. And they will have fight scenes and stuff. And you can tell when an actor (laughs) is a real fighter or a fake fighter. And so for them to go out and say, we're actually going to get an MMA fighter, not only an MMA fighter, but a real good MMA fighter. And then put this character into fight scenes. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's there. First of all, she could beat up anyone on set, I'm sure. Um, but second, it's just it comes off so real. And so, I, yeah, that's, those are some great characters. And I think The Mandalorian is just full of great characters. So I can't wait for, for season two's characters as well. If I if I can tangent for just a second, um, sort of in sort of parallel to uh, Cardoon just being this very, very intensely physical character, especially in combat. Um, there are three, conversely, or sort of in reflection to that, there are three actors who are playing the Mandalorian on set. There is Pedro Pascal as the face, the voice, the personality, but then they have a jujitsu expert um, <laughs> in the armor when it things get too technical in that capacity, but also a gunslinging expert <laughs> to do firearm work on set. Um, 
when it needs to be, you know, the correct quick draw and the the not necessarily for Star Wars, but the fanning of the hammer moments. Um, but then they also sort of took that dedication into how they built the child and they they built this this puppet and the animatronic, but then they took it the next step and refused to animate the CGI versions of the child beyond what the puppet can do. So there's never a disconnect in motion or action, which just makes the child feel so real. Oh yeah. Um, I have a good a colleague whose whose son um was is an extra and uh swears cool. up and down that the child is as adorable and emotionally uh compelling in person <laughs> as on screen. So um even on set that you know they're like can't deny yeah uh, what Jamie's saying of like just that sort of emotive appeal um to the child. Well, it's hard it's hard not to. Um beyond character in that regard um we had uh albie madrigal on the show before he's, he's over on the theme park pulse podcast but he played because he is part of not only is he part of the 501st but lucasfilm actually will contract out he explains this on the podcast that we did with him but lucasfilm will contract out to approved I can't remember what they call them. They're, they're, they're called like a group of 501st members who are like extra special with their costumes. Um, and so he got to play the one of the scout troopers, not one of the ones that was messing with Baby Yoda, not one of those. But in the episode before that, he got to play one of the scout troopers. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people who have been involved in this show too, and they all really love it, which is fantastic. So just special shout out to Albie for joining us on our show. It'd be cool to know, uh, get a listing of everyone who shows up in a stormtrooper, you know, like for one episode and they just, they, they, you know, otherwise they're just in background, but they're in a stormtrooper uh, outfit. Um, yeah. We got to, we got to see about getting one of those gigs, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark Hopper has commented here that he hopes um, that the second season here is going to break out of the mold. That's um, a lot of non-episodic Star Wars content follows where it, it feels a need to neatly fit into the movie continuity. Mm -hmm. Um which he says thinks it makes it difficult to tell new stories. And I, I, I can't help but agree with him here. Um, and especially, I think the Mandalorian did a really nice job um, in comparison to say something like uh, Rogue One, which quite linearly translates into the start of A New Hope um, or some of the, well, fun, kitschy moments of Solo, where in the first Solo movie, which sort of was thought to be spread out a little bit more um over more films or a series whatever covers every single major talking point in han solo's <laughs> life yeah. in one two and a half hour film um and so i think mando broke the mold on that a bit and i'm hoping they continue to as well alongside what mark is saying here i am a little bit worried about it though i know you have questions pertaining season two but that concept does worry me a little bit because even even there was a quote, I believe it was from John Favreau, when he said uh, that they want to introduce or tell more background stories about some of the other characters and events mm. that are going on in the Star Wars universe. And that does worry me to Mark's point. Like, like I, I don't really like episodic uh, television. I like serial television. 
difference being an episode is like, hey, this is the episode and the episode's done and we're not really, there's not really a strong through line. I like it when there's a strong through line, but in Mark to Mark's point, I do not like it when they're trying to shove all these things in um, that really don't belong there. Let it stand on its own as its own serial story. Uh, that's That would be my favorite thing. Um, I'm trying to think, because you, you go, um, on the one hand, um, let's explore, let's elaborate, let's do creative new fun things um, that aren't anticipated, right? That we wouldn't predict. That's why uh, Mando's fun, because there's really nothing to predict from what we know. But I would... Yeah, it um, is new territory. Yeah, yeah. So so the exploration can be... well. There was, so uh, Han Solo, that we have stuff like sort of that is set. And to do anything different kind of undoes the character as we know yeah. him and so that's the threat or the danger there um and it would it would render some of these other elements that are really important to us all essentially incoherent right like you'd have to basically say we're um you know we're doing a new franchise or we're doing a new version of it um a new universe or something like that uh to to make sure there's some through line but um it, so I think that I, I I like it as an idea. Let's explore. Let's go get creative. But I think like creativity within restraints is fun. So how mm. can how can you elaborate on the Mandalorian and these other characters in a way that doesn't completely subvert or undermine you know what's coming or what came before, but at the same time does some cool creative things we wouldn't have anticipated. So that to me that's sort of like the sweet spot of it all. Um, looking at themes from the first season, was there anything that stood out to each of you um, as either meaningful or just sort of a, a unique take on something? I mean, if we if we go with your Western theme, right? Like this is a sort of a, a space Western, which is really what Star Wars always has been. Yeah. Um, but this even more so, because, you know, he's um, sort of cast in the mold of um, some of the like classic Western stuff. Um, it, it would, it would be interesting to think through like, is this a revisionist or more spaghetti Western, or is this actually kind of a, they're trying to do straight up Western in space. Um, so that's an open mm -hmm. question for me. I don't know yet, but the one thing that I think is an innovation or different is you really do have this, uh, compelling sort of paternal, uh, theme. Like he, he, uh, the Mandalorian is doing something that's distinct from like, I'm a, I'm the outsider who's the kind of savior that comes into a community and then removes himself. Um, there's the, the sort of serialized thing that Jay's talking, like the, the thing that goes through is his compassion for this little kid. Um, and that to me is, is a, not a departure from, but an interesting uh, extra sort of um, fold to add to this sort of Western notion. Uh, and then you get, that's the, then the inversion, right? You get Kara's character who is, uh, more strong, uh, stoic, <laughs> uh, not, not that she doesn't like the child, but you know, it, and so you get this interesting sort of gender reversal of, of what is the sort of lead protagonist male supposed to be doing in the Western? What is the lead protagonist female supposed to be doing? Um, and they're really playing with form there that I think would be interesting moving forward. So especially for like a bounty hunter who's dealing with people like Jabba the Hutt, um, you're expecting not a lot of empathy for, you know, little kids um, or 50 year old mm. kids, however we want to call them. Um, and that I thought uh, was an interesting way to think about masculinity and whatnot, which is one of those sort of through lines in Westerns writ large is what does it mean to be a man? Um, and this is giving us something a little bit different, I think. Mm. That's good. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, by the way, Mark Mark pointed out that when he when he was talking about episodic, he was actually meaning the um, the Star Wars movies being episodes. So actually, that's a good clarification because yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with his statement 100%. Um, yeah, uh, for me, I thought the two things that were really powerful and I was not expecting to find them was the first being isolation right? Mm. Like this, I did not expect there to be such a focus on isolation. And because he's really isolated, not only from the the what you'd say is the normal sense of community, but he's also pretty isolated from even uh, the rest of the guilds, um, not, not only the guilds, but but his actual specific uh, clan of, um, of Mandalorians. And so he it feels to him like he's coming at this from an outsider. And honestly, it could not have come at a better time because while this was the end of 2019, if you do a rewatch of The Mandalorian right now, leading into season two, we're all sensing a certain amount of isolation from just the pandemic being around us, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, so it kind of like fits into this thing of like, how do we reach out and get outside of ourselves and do things that are sacrificial when what we're really trying to do is also be um, protecting of ourselves. And so I think that's really fascinating. And the turn that they made with IG-11 is particularly fascinating because I did not expect them to go down a, a traditional Star Wars redemption arc with that. And yet it they pulled it off in ways that I don't think other... So Solo, for example. I don't think Solo pulled off the, the droid rights thing um, really very well at all because they, mm -hmm. they sort of used it as a joke. And I liked it as a joke. But some people took it and said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not a joke. Like, this is a real discussion that needs to be had. And I went like, well, then it's really not clear in that story because the story is treating it like a joke. So I, I don't really get that. What they did, though, in The Mandalorian to make IG-11 a lot more, his character more meaningful and actually had more to say about how we should treat droids than Solo did was that they made IG-11, they made uh, Mando's character have a reason to hate droids and then have that logic break down over the course of the series. And then that the droid actually gives up of itself to protect him. And I think that that was pretty artfully done more so from a theming perspective in regards to those themes. So I really like that. I hope they can, I hope they can get that deep with season two and not just present us with cool scenarios. Cause we got both with season one and I'm, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be a little disappointed if we don't get both. <laughs> well, and we got, really great characters in IG-11 and Quill who both sacrificed themselves to to protect the child um, and they both brought a lot of a whole lot of depth to sort of the philosophical spectrum of that series with the um, what up Zach uh, I see you there. Um, both brought a lot of depth to the series with how it addresses um, both the issue of droid rights and and the issues issues of racism, but also how we see people on the other side of the political spectrum, which again I think is really pertinent to the start of the second season of The Mandalorian as we enter into um, the immediate presence of an election. Um, but with that back and forth between Quill and Cara Dune. And so both of them together and both characters who end up sacrificing themselves um, brought a lot. So I'm, I'm in the same boat that I'm really hoping that that continues on in the second season. Um, for me, and we, we discussed this a little bit in our previous video, there will be a card somewhere eventually. 
in one of these corners um in our previous video about you know westerns and is mandalorian a true western um how one of the big sort of dialogues within um within westerns and cutter i think this parallels a lot with what you said a minute ago about how westerns are this uh expression of what is it to be a man what is it to be masculine or what is it what what is required of being a man and i think that falls partly into the lawless structure that's really commonly found in westerns and especially found in the mandalorian you know we get a very very brief glimpse into the new republic um in the heist episode in the prisoner um and we get a little bit more of a view into the empire's remnants um but again it's really and truly only two episodes out of the eight that we get deep and uh content with the empire it's really the last two you're we see them and he rescues the child from them but there's not a whole lot of um meaningful exposition for the empire's sake i think in those two episodes not like there is in the last two so i really hope they continue to play with that um we know that in season two they're going to tatooine um and so hopefully that gets to play a little bit more in with what's left of jabba's uh hut cartel and more of that so that just playing with lawlessness and when there's law when there's not law how do you enact justice um I think was great in the first season and something I hope that, that continues. You know, yeah, to, 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 oh, go ahead, go ahead, Cutter. I was just going to say on the, on the Western front, what's interesting too, there's a couple of things of what both of you had said. One, you go, uh, well, my, my read of, of Westerns as a genre is that it is a, a quintessentially American genre. So it, it's, it's, um, it is lawlessness, but it, it is uniquely asking these questions about um, like American mythology uh in light of justice and etc and um but most of not most many of the westerns are the lawlessness is related to um you know we're we're expanding into the the land it's this untamed wild and so um often your your enemy right the other is the the wild unknown that you're trying to either settle so you all you have the settlers right that that settle and then you have um uh, sort of nomadic folks and uh then you have like ranchers whatever and then you have the indigenous populations right that are that you're always set over against and that's a very different kind of enemy than a sort of fascist <laughs> global yeah, empire this you know so that's the kind of other overlay that mandalorian gives us that is not not inappropriate for western but it is an additional thing that you don't get as much um in like a classic american western so now we're we're encountering america in a global context and so now i think it it makes more sense to go okay we we have to think of ourselves whatever your nation state is um as in relationship both to this question of justice and lawlessness but as it's set within this broader sort of global or in this case galactic um community right that we're not just uh you know thinking about our land but we're thinking about our globe our galaxy um and that's why i think it's so interesting that then you have now the guild um and even though mando like longs for and doesn't have a connection to his his clan um it's there right it matters to him um he he recognizes and others recognize that he's not an autonomous like individual being a hero 
um, his heroism is rooted deeply in this community, even though that community is absent, right? And that too, I think, is a little different than most of the kind of Western tropes where you don't get a lot of background. You don't get a lot of connection to the protagonist. They're, they're kind of like, they just showed up, they materialized one day from nowhere and they do their thing. Um, and those two things, we're part of this sort of global galactic village. And then the, the protagonists are part of a, a community or, or um, group of folks who fund all of their efforts, um, I think are two sort of new ways of going about the Western genre that, that Mando, hopefully they keep doing it in season two. Yeah, that, that's really good stuff. And I was going to pick up on the lawlessness too, because I think that's a fascinating topic, especially when we're, like you said, Tim, in the middle of a presidential election where they're literally saying part of my part of my policy is law and order. Right. Um, um, yeah. And then there's another there's another part that's, well, no, we need to abolish the police, which would which is a form of law and order. And I think when you this is why storytelling is so fascinating to me from the perspective of it allows us to play things out that we are actually discussing in the public sphere as a means by which to operate our lives a means by which to engage in, with each other in life. And I think this is really fascinating because you do have the fascist sort of law and order perspective of uh, the uh, empirical regime, the um, the imperial regime. And I, and I think that that's, that's an interesting thing to have a take on because we would, most of us would say, yeah, abolish that because that's a fascist regime regime. What's interesting about Mandalorian is that then it, and, and other Star Wars movies have done this too, but they show you all the different tribes that exist as well. And so, so tribalism in whatever form you take it in, and whether it's the tribe of the Imperials or whether it's the tribe of Tusken Raiders or, you know, the tribe of Gungans, you can see the, the fighting that comes from a difference of opinion. Mm. And I think that that is a really good place as you talk about Tim and, and you two cutter about like how we're supposed to actually come together. We're supposed to actually try to unify, um, not say, well, that tribe is inherently evil and therefore must be eradicated. Uh, that's not a true statement about how human beings are. And so I think Star Wars is at its best when it can start to show us some of those nuances of culture that I think that the Mandalorian does. So I'm excited about seeing some more of that too. As we, as we look forward to the second season um, and the trailers that we have been given, the uh, I think there's four or even perhaps five now TV spots that don't all show up on the internet. Um, but what, so looking at trailers, looking at what we know about what's coming, um, what are you guys excited for? Uh, Boba Fett to show up. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and see how they, how they include him. Um, I also think, yeah, what kind of what Jay's getting at, um, will be interesting to see it, the, the sort of, if you read any uh, critical fan studies, that's the kind of stuff I, I read. Um, <laughs> it's, fasc it's fascinating when people read star Wars, um, any of the, any of the, you know, um, people that are dealing with, whether it's the series or the, the movies, um, and you get a group of folks that to Jay's point, um, no, well, almost no one. I, I have this book in me that that is like it's called "We Are the Empire," um, and the, it's it's called that because um, I want to say we need to do a better job of identifying with the empire because a lot of times that's actually the position we take up. Um, but almost nowhere do people usually say their tribe is like the the viewer 
um, is the empire. It's always the rebels, right? And so the empire becomes whatever that great evil or other is in your life. So if you're, you know, of one persuasion, it's fascism. If you're another, it's, um, you know, uh, the, the the corporations are taking over, you know, globalism or whatever. So whatever it is, um, the, the big dark evil um, represents that. And so um, one thing that would be really interesting is to see as you get a, a Boba Fett kind of show up here and we have all the unknowns about his character and, and whatnot. Um, and and to see how it seems like the Mandalorian is exactly the kind of character that can navigate between those different tribes in some really constructive way. Um, now, that may be asking too much because in a lot of ways, the series is really just at the core fun, right? Like it's just fun. <laughs> so we don't want to make too much or, you know, ask too much of it and then feel like it's a failure. Um, but along those lines, exactly like what, how does it take up, um, the ongoing star Wars mythology? And then how does that sort of speak new life into where we're at right now, uh, in terms of the other and, and tribal others, global others, uh, national others. Mm. That's good. Um, yeah, as far as like where it's going to go, um, and what I'm excited about seeing, I'm really excited about seeing Timothy Oliphant because I think that, that he's had two great roles that i have personally enjoyed him in and that was in justified and Mm -hmm. in deadwood (laughs) uh especially likes his role in deadwood and so now you're putting him back in that same kind of context i'm like i'm all for that like that sounds amazing um i think he does that role really well he's like a skinny lanky guy and yet he's he seems really tough uh he's almost like a clint eastwood figure in in a lot of ways um i think that works really well and then yeah i think um Outside of that, I think I've said this on some other podcasts before, but I would love for uh, the Mandalorian specifically to get into some of the Legends content that we haven't really seen on screen before in terms of bringing in um, Nal Hutta uh, or Nar Shadda. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right, but so those are some of the Huttese planets that are kind of more developed planets that are just run by gangsters. And so I think that that's a fascinating thing to look at because then you have the... To, to Cutter's point about how the world, how the world of Star Wars operates, the the fascist empire knows that those places exist and are oftentimes not oppressing them because there's some sort of thing that provides value to the empire that exists on those planets, but instead will oppress, you know, like a smaller little tribe because just because they can almost in some in some instances. So I think as long as we get into those deeper themes, um, then I would like to see some of that other stuff come up that we haven't necessarily seen before it's not really connected to any of the the main um to mark's point episodic movies but that's kind of separate from that that we could really sink our teeth into would be really cool um i'm really excited i think a lot of with what a lot of we saw in the trailer i think points to a continued um pursuit of that expanding the universe a bit just a little piece by piece um you know, we got a lot of that in Solo, um, finally getting to see Corellia, um, the weird uh, placement of the the major key Imperial March as propaganda, mm-hmm. um, and just these sort of, sort of extended views into the world that surrounds the Galactic Civil War. Um, and so I'm really excited to go to an ocean planet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking when we did the trailer breakdown, we sort of are, my hope is that that's Mon Cala um, and getting to see Admiral Akbar's home planet. Um, but also just the ice planet, which is rumored to be Ilum. 
which is uh, within the within the lore. That's where lightsaber crystals come from. Is Ilum, um, and so there's a couple really good links in those potential new planets um, to open up to a huge variety of narrative uh, opportunity there, especially with Ilum. Um, I think there's a ton that can be seen in the the characters that are coming to this, but I'm going to hold out on that for the moment. Um, really, I think, interesting thing that could come out of the second season is sort of a three-sided conflict. Because a lot of conflict expresses itself in, in two sides, and that's pretty much the way it is through all of Star Wars. Um, at least episodes one through nine. You know, it's Trade Federation versus the collection of Gungans and uh, Naboo people and the Jedi. And then it's the Confederate systems versus the Republic. And then it's rebels and empire. And then it's resistance and uh, first order, but it never really expands beyond that to a three sided uh, conflict or system. Um, and I think that, I think we're going to get a, I'm hoping that we're getting a place where Mando is caught between the New Republic and the Empiric Remnant or the New Republic and the First Order um, where we can see sort of this alternate perspective to both sides of that and see there are going to be aspects of the New Republic that aren't good. And there are going to be aspects of the Empiric Remnant or the very beginnings of the First Order that aren't necessarily bad. Um, and just, I think that nuance and the opportunity to see it from a perspective of his new clan of two, um, the broader world of the guild or the outlaw perspective and sort of having this third, uh, facet to that conflict, um, could be really, really exciting and allow them to play with a lot of fun narrative, um, things we've already sort of touched on this as well, but what other themes are you hoping show up in the second season? I think more of the same for me. Like I, I, I would hate for them to thematically abandon what they were building in in season one. Um, now I don't, I don't think that they necessarily need to have a redemption arc for a character because we've already kind of seen that. Um, but I would hate for, like, for example, I think that they run the risk of going from like an isolation theme to all of a sudden like an Avengers team up theme, right? Where it's like, oh, we're going to bring everybody together. And then we're going like, to go out and fight battles and stuff like that. And, and I don't mind that. That's a very um, magnificent seven thing to do, right? Like that's, that's kind of cool, but I don't know that we have actually solved for Mandalorian's isolation yet. And I would like to see that played out more, especially with the year that we've been having um, and that people have been actually experiencing in their lives. And so it's this idea that you can have these characters come in and out of episodes um, in very meaningful ways to the Mandalorian, but that at the end of the day, he's still fighting this sense of isolation. And what should his what should his code be versus how should he actually conduct himself? And, and that's something that I think a lot of people wrestle with, whether or not they're willing to admit it, is that we have we generally tend to have either a high moral standard in our own minds or even maybe we have a low moral standard in our own minds. But the question is not whether or not what is your code or what is your moral standard. The question is, why don't I live up to it? 
Because like you, you cannot tell me that you live up to your moral standard every day. Like, <laughs> you just you don't pick one, and you don't live up to it. And so I think that that is a far more interesting thing because it breaks down our our perception of the world around us. Why, uh, you know, when you talk about these, uh, I was talking to somebody else the other day about the election, and they were talking about uh, this idea that you would vote for candidates based on one thing that they stood for. And I think that, that that's, again, saying like, well, here's my moral standard, and I'm only going to use one thing because I don't mm -hmm. fail based on that one thing. I fail on these other things that I'm not going to mention, but this one thing is too important. And everyone else that does that one thing, they're dirtbags. And I think that that I think it's more interesting for us to watch characters like the Mandalorian say, actually, I need to give up on the guild code. I need to give up on the Mandalorian code in order to help somebody else out in order to take baby Yoda and try and rescue him from what the bigger picture is, because maybe being a good neighbor or being a good support system to somebody is actually better than me adhering to my moral code. I would like to see some of those themes. Cause I think that can go really deep. So that would be fun for me to see. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, uh, anytime you start talking about, you know, moral, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 themes or um, whatever your sort of orientation is in, in failing. Um, it's also that, you know, uh, morality is, has a direction, mm -hmm. right? So um, you can, it's, it's not necessarily, now this would be, if anyone's, a, we're talking about story geeks, if anyone's a, a fan of Aristotle's poetics, <laughs> Aristotelian uh, virtue theory, but he, you know, he was the sort of the first person to talk about story, right? And what stories do mm. um, and how they affect us and how they compel us morally, et cetera. Um, you know, he would say uh, that, that all of our morals are directed to some end. Mm. And so it's not enough to say I'm being honest here, right? Um, it's not enough to say I'm going to not kill you or, you know, whatever. It's I have some larger goal and and I'm I'm either oriented towards or away that away from that. And there are times when actually doing the the uh, what would be the formal uh, thing uh, that would look moral is actually the immoral thing. It's to direct you away from that. Um, so it's not only just, you know, does whether it's my candidate or a Mandalorian. Uh, meet the formal requirements. <laughs> it's what's the sort of <laughs> um, we're not voting. No one, there's no vote for Mandalorian. He just is awesome. What direction are we headed with this, right? And that's why I think it's really cool about Tim, what you're saying of, of the possibility of sort of triangulating and him being in between different things. Um, because at least as I understand the broader Star Wars mythology, what I thought they've done interestingly well in the in the most recent series or uh, movies is um, call into question the the moral sort of the self-evident morality of the Jedi, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the Jedi are special and they are wise. We, they got cool connection to the force, but it would be silly for us to think that they are just inherently moral because of that, right? And so they too are wielding power um, and are susceptible to different things of power structures and other dynamics where you go, okay, just because you're a Jedi. So like the old series, before we had anything else, it was just, you're a Jedi, you're good, right? And now we're getting into this space that I think reflects more the nowness of today. And that is, man, even the people that, and the, and the people, the organizations, the tribes, whatever, that we would normally go, yeah, they're the sort of the, the um, standard bearers for morality or virtue. 
huh, <laughs> it looks like they might be uh, quite immoral and ready to replace, you know, and substitute their sort of moral uh, character for power at any given moment. Um, and and so we don't want to just say uh, we want Boba Fett to side with the, the Alliance or with the, you know, whoever. Um, and that, I think, would be an interesting thing for them to explore um, all in a very concrete way, which is how do I help this otherwise vulnerable child who may be vulnerable or not? We don't really know. Uh, maybe he can lift a giant beast with his mind, um, but he also gets worn out. Um, those are some really interesting uh, ways of, of both telling the story, but then asking us to go like, huh. What do I do in X situation? How do I come to my code and and be in relationship to that code? Did you guys ever play uh, Coder, Knights of the Old Republic? Oh, uh-uh. Oh. Oh, so that, uh, no, it's on my list. Okay, you need to play it. Because one of the things that it does is it puts you in the place of a lead character in the Star Wars world. And you get to choose whether or not you are going to lean to the light side or fully live into the light side or fully move into the, the dark side. And what you see as you play some of those things out is that there, um, there tends to be a fairly, I mean, from a storytelling perspective, it's phenomenal. It's a great story. Um, but also from a leadership perspective, it's very fascinating because it teaches you the influence you have over other people. Because um, the characters on your team will start to lean whatever way you're leaning as they watch you operate and see you either succeed or fail or whatever. Um, and I think that uh, that is always a great place um, to to explore storytelling is saying we're in this third space. These people believe this. These people believe this. And how do I navigate these two things to find what is true? Um, and it's usually neither of the perspectives being a hundred percent true. It's usually something in between. Um, and I think that that would be really cool to see for sure. And I think that quarter does that really, really well. Well, and I think to, to sort of expand on this concept of looking at, looking at how the Jedi have grown just in, in the depth of the, the storytelling around them from simply this good and good versus evil perspective, the Jedi are good, the Sith are bad. Um, and then what you see in the movies as the movies spread out and definitely what you see in KOTOR, um, if you want to preserve your image of the Jedi, do not go and read the like encyclopedia books or the source books or any of the legend stories, because it will ruin the Jedi for you hundred percent. Like there are, and there are things that like on the Jedi council, you learn about all these different Jedi masters and like, you're like, Oh my God, some of these people are terrible. Some of these are like, they're genuinely terrible people and they're full of ego and hubris and, um, uh, deception and, uh, dishonesty, but they're supposed to be in viewed as by the broader Republic as these great paragons of, um, of justice and peace and wisdom and um, the end of uh, Star Wars Clone Wars does dive into that a little bit and you get some of the other Kurosanti perspectives on the Jedi and the Jedi Temple and um, you get to see some of the Jedi see the negative side of their influence and it's really really interesting um, that's a good tangent <laughs> <laughs> Um, I 
looking forward to the second season. I'm really, I really liked the ending where they are sort of inaugurated as a clan of two under the Mudhorn symbol. Um, and while I, I agree that I don't want it to hit an Avengers sort of status of this team up TV show to go off and fight the big bad guy. I do kind of hope that idea of the clan grows from two. I hope it becomes a clan of, of three or four. Um, and it starts to become something more than just Din Djarin trying to get baby Yoda home to his people. And I think, I think I want that to the point of, I hope they don't find baby Yoda's people. Like, I hope that's not the resolution of the story at any point, whether this season, next season, season four, whatever, however far they go. I hope they, I hope that relationship, that and that idea of the clan and it's sort of being patchwork and mismatched um, continues on beyond Justin Jarn and baby Yoda. Um, and then, like I said before, I want to see, them play more with the issues of justice and the Republic not being all good and the empire or the start of the first order not being all bad. I thought they did that pretty well with uh, Dr. Pershing in the first season where he's like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to, I'm trying to not have the child be killed after like, yes, he's part of the empire and he's performing experience experiments on the child, but he also then takes steps to make sure the child isn't harmed in the process. And so you get these little glimpses of people within the, uh, the empire or the empiric remnant who aren't all bad or people in the new Republic who aren't all, aren't all good. And then the other conscious of that is the two, uh, scout troopers who punch baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> you get both sides of the coin there. Um, there's been a whole lot of reveals um, and a lot of expectations set up for the second season based on some of the publicized castings. And just as a second warning, this is going to get real spoilery <laughs> um, with some of the things that have been, quote, revealed about the next season through what you can find on, say, IMDb or official casting releases, etc. Um, who do Who are you of the things that we know are coming? What are you guys the most excited for? I'm uh, excited for uh, the Mithril. So in part because I want to see Horatio do something. Uh, that's that's <laughs> interesting. Um, but then also, uh, you know, the just the exploring kind of that background mythology of, of where the character comes from and et cetera. Um, I think that that's going to be interesting. And I don't have any I don't have any instinct for what that's going to look like <laughs> other than it may look like something. Um, and so that that to me is one of the. Uh, uh, things I'd like to see. So funnily enough, that was one of the ones I didn't catch just looking at casting notes. And so that was a surprise to me when I saw the most recent trailer and he pokes his head out between Cara Dune and I think um, uh, Grief Karga. Um, yeah. And I was like, wait, hold I like, I was sitting on my couch here in my apartment and I looked around to like, did anyone else see that? But I live alone. Like I looked for <laughs> someone else to just like be like, hold on. I didn't, I didn't, just like that wasn't a trick of my the light. I, I like it was so surprising to me that I just physically looked around. Um, but yeah, I am very excited for the return of the Mithril and hope that there is because he was a funny character. 
yeah. this whole persona and I'll hire a cruiser. Let's do this in comfort and yeah. all these. I want to know, like, is he the Star Wars equivalent of a tech startup? <laughs> like, is he is he the Zuckerberg of Star Wars? <laughs> Just messing with everyone's privacy. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I I'm looking forward to like I said already uh, um, whoever uh, Timothy Oliphant is playing I'm excited for that I'll tell you one thing that I'm not super excited about and this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say on this show I'm not super excited about seeing a live action Ahsoka Tana um, Ahsoka Tano because I just First of all, I feel like the way that the Clone Wars ended was phenomenal. And I'm worried to bring that character back up because it feels like fan service to me. Um, it hmm. feels like interconnecting of things like what Mark was talking about. This would not be interconnecting with the episodes, um, the movies, but rather just throwing something in because we want the connective tissue. Um, and I'm just really worried that they would not handle it well. So... I'm excited about Timothy Oliphant because I'm assuming he's not necessarily a character that we've seen before, or if he is, it's more of a side character that's kind of, but to take one of the main characters, it'd be like if you told me that they were going to have Solo in here and I'd be like, oh, like, I don't really want to see Solo in here. Like, that's not yeah. what I'm here for. So anyway. Well, and I, I love Ahsoka. I love the character. I love her narrative. Um, and I agree that I just think the the season the the final season of Clone Wars just wraps that up so nicely. Um, and spoilers, she does show up in Rebels, and she does so in some really meaningful ways. And her the ending of Rebels sort of ties her story up nicely, but leaves it makes you wonder where she goes next. And I, so I, I'm excited to see Ahsoka. I'm also hesitant to see Ahsoka because I don't want it to be fan service so badly. Um, it would be gutting for me to have Ahsoka in the show and it'd be kind of meaningless. Um, but what I am really excited for, for the most, I think what's really going to tie this second season together is the idea of the dark saber. Um, which we see uh, Moff Gideon escape the lightsaber with, but there's a character who's been announced, uh, Bo-Katan, played by the actress who voiced her in in Star Wars uh, Rebels, and I'm blanking on her name. It's the actress mm. um, uh, who plays the uh, hotshot pilot in uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah, Katie Sackhoff. Thank you, Katie Sackhoff. Um Bo-Katan is the, at the end of Rebels, holds the Darksaber. And the Darksaber is the symbol of Mandalorian regency. Um, and now Grief, or not Grief Cargo, Moff Gideon has it. Um, and so I'm very curious to see how Bo-Katan fits into this because she used to have the Darksaber. And then sort of again in connection with Ahsoka, um, another character who ends Rebels in uh, heading off on an adventure with Ahsoka um, is Sabine Wren, another Mandalorian figure who held the Darksaber. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of my 
big thing that I'm hoping for in the second season um, that has not been announced to my knowledge or teased in any way is Sabine Wren showing up. Um, because I think sort of getting to meet her in not an animated context would be really cool. And she fits the, um, the dark saber story so well. So if that's why Bo-Katan is entering the series is to find, retrieve the dark saber and try to reunite, uh, Mandalore as an entity and as a culture again, I'm kind of hoping we get to see Sabine Wren in the process, um, which could be a meaning could tie into a meaningful way to get Ahsoka into the show as well and not have it just be fan service. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't remember where um, I was you know wrecking my brain of uh, where I last saw uh, Oliphant and I just remembered my wife and I are rebinging all the Office and he shows up in like episode. Uh, really, yeah, he's in like he's in like three episodes and I'm like, man, I, why have I? I feel like I see him everywhere nowadays. Where was that? It was it was in the Office. So maybe. Yeah. I'll, Maybe he'll show up as uh, his character from The Office and we'll be okay. <laughs> well, and I, have, and I haven't seen him in Santa Clarita Diet, so I don't know if that's any good or not, but I love his I love his Western work for sure. Yeah. With, yeah. T- with, with Timothy Oliphant, though, uh, and The Mandalorian, they his was one of the earliest casting leaks. And this yeah. was back before, I think before season one even premiered, that Timothy Oliphant was going to be in season two. Um, and the thing that was teased with that, or not teased, but leaked with that at the time, and something that has not, um, to my under- to my perspective, been reiterated, was he is supposed to be a huge, like, shaker of salt with this. Um, because this was, a you know, one of those early leaks of the second season, but is supposed to be having commandeered Boba Fett's armor and declared himself the sheriff of Tatooine in <laughs> the power vacuum of Jabba the Hutt dying. Um, and we do get to see Timura Morrison in this show, the actor who played all of the clones um, and Jango yeah. Fett. Yeah. So that I'm really hoping that's still a part of this show. And that's where we're going to get to see uh, Timothy Oliphant show up is in the armor at least briefly uh, and then some addition of Tamora Morrison within that it would be rad to see Tamora Morrison in the in the OG um, Bola armor though you know that's an interesting um, theme I mean, we go back to themes but that could be expo- I mean I don't know how they'll do it um, but obviously uh, masks are a, a sort of undercurrent of all Star Wars universes and um, the revealing of the mask and the person underneath, or is it a person or whatnot? Um, and, uh, and then of course in, in the Mandalorian, both their code and it's a big, uh, part of the plot of whether or not he reveals himself to anyone. Um, and so there's two ways you can go about that. One, you would say it's about, you know, making you a part of the tribe or whatnot. Like here's the sort of code that you adhere strictly to. Um, and so it's the character undergoing that that transformation of maybe you would reveal yourself and you don't have to have this guard whatever but the reverse is true as well and that is you can leverage the power of the mask in really different ways and so if you could be an imposter in boba fett's outfit and do things um as if you were so and so or you can wield the um the the mystery of the mask so that this is where you know you get the the sith lords the vaders the the kylo rens that use masks 
um, to instill fear and whatnot in, in enemies. Um, and so it's a, it's sort of like a complicated blessing um, where you could go, what does it mean to don a mask? Um, who gets to, and um, what does it mean then to take it off, right? And, and how does that change or disrupt the way that you're um, relating to other people, uh, whether enemies or friends or whatnot? That'd be a fun, I don't, I mean, I don't know if they'll go that direction, but, but it does seem they want to do something with his helmet um, that's not insignificant anyway. Well, I think sort of the, 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 the parallel or perhaps the reflection of that is then how the mask is used, especially within the empire of making the empire, this faceless entity or a, perhaps a better way to put it is a singular, singularly faced mm -hmm. entity. And you turn and everywhere you look, you see the face of the empire, which is the mask of the stormtrooper and the, the the triangle shape of a star destroyer and no matter where you are it's the same face the same unified front of the empire which like i say is make provides this sort of i, I think interesting juxtaposition between using a mask to have a singular face or using a mask to have no face at all yeah um and i didn't think about that you're right because then there's certain instances where you're you're putting masks on other people right like mm -hmm. I put it on the stormtroopers for exactly what you're describing, which is different than I'm donning a mask myself, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. All sorts of good fun. All sorts of good fun. I think coming in this next season, um, gentlemen. Do you have any final thoughts about what you want to see? What you think we might see? Your wild left card or left field uh, conspiracy theories of why the baby Yoda is in fact real Yoda. Um, well, <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. There's just not enough years, all, but... right? Unless, but... unless they're lying to us, somebody, there's just not enough years that we have to transpire, right? But uh, so do you guys have any, any, any of those final crazy thoughts or things you think might be really out of left field, but a possibility? Not really. I, I was asked um, by one of our good friends over at the Mecha Dragon podcast, Will Marlowe. He said, hey, do you want to be on a show where we pitch a crossover between Marvel and Star Wars? And I went and I said to him, I said, you know what? Like, I will listen to that show because I will find it fascinating. But I really dislike that kind of stuff. And I hope we do not <laughs> any of that. I don't need the giant crossovers between franchises. So, yeah, please don't do that. But otherwise, other than that, like, uh, I'm I just can't wait for for next Friday. I'm going to be one of those people that's either watching it at midnight on Thursday or watching it at 6 a.m. on Friday, whenever it comes out. So I think I will be watching it very early Friday morning. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. I got young kids, so I got to wait till my 10 year old is awake enough to watch it with me. So uh, <laughs> fair enough. But that, fair enough. But actually, that is one um, fun thing. I My oldest daughter is uh, has reached her. She's come of age uh, of Star Wars. So I've now I've now brought her through all of what I consider canon. Um, and then we'll let her uh, go from there with that strong base. And he has just said, dad, can I watch Mandalorian with you? And I said, yes, you can. So uh, I'm excited. And, and again, is back to why I actually love a Cara Dune character because um, she actually in some ways reminds me of my oldest daughter and, and just the, what I value. I mean, Ray was also very valuable, but again, Ray is a different kind of female lead than a Cara. And, um, and I think we just need more, at least for, for me, a dad of, of all daughters. Um, I love the fact that there are strong female leads that she can, she can grapple with and, and identify with and really be right. 
Um, and that to me is exciting, no matter what they do with the series that me and my daughter get to sit down and watch together. That's awesome. Um, on that extremely wholesome note and wonderful <laughs> note, I am going to say that that is it for today's show, everyone. Uh, please make sure that you subscribe to this channel for more geek content. If you liked uh, what we're doing here, uh, hit that like button. It's very helpful for us as a channel. Um, and hit that bell icon for notifications. We will see you on the next show. Stay tuned right here for much more Mandalorian-themed content and our very own sort of post-show discussion of how wrong we all were come the middle <laughs> of December. Um, have a wonderful rest of all of your evenings, and you will be able to find this uh, video in either video or audio form for the foreseeable future, either here on the YouTube channel, our Facebook uh page or our as an audio version on our podcast feed um peace out everybody thank you for joining us good talking to you guys see ya